everybody doing? All right, a little underwhelming, but that's all right. Hey, I want to uh, I want to just say a little welcome. I have a lot of family in the middle of the room here, some who traveled as far as Winnipeg. And so, uh, yes, thanks everybody for joining. Hey, I'm going to pray, and then we are going to jump into things. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. That was such a youth pastor thing. I'm so sorry. I'm not in youth ministry anymore, but... Dear Jesus, even though I just had the lamest youth pastor joke ever, I pray that uh, as I get ready to speak this morning, Lord, that it would be your words and not mine. God, I pray that uh, what you want us to hear this morning would come through in spite of me and despite of me. Lord, we we are hungry for you to uh, shape us and transform us into the people that you created us to be. And so help us to be closer to you by the time we leave this place than when we got here. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Man, I cannot believe that we are in August already. Uh, Throw it at me from the crowd. Have you gone anywhere this summer? Have you taken any summer trips? Yeah, I want destinations. And yes, Canada, yes. Another Canada. Another, what, what did I hear? Nashville. Music City. I'd love to go to Nashville one day. Pennsylvania. Nice. Anywhere else? (laughs) Huron. What? Down here? Devil's Lake. We will pray for you. uh, That's that's a place. Oh, okay. Sorry. I thought we were under spiritual attack there for a moment. All right. We're good. We're back on track. Well, uh, our family, we did the, the typical summer trip. We, uh, I also went back to Canada. I'm, I'm from there, in case you weren't aware of that. But the four of us, my wife Christy and our two boys, we went to Ontario a couple weeks ago. And it was a great time catching up with the, the significant people in our lives. We saw a lot of our family and a bunch of our friends. And it would have been the perfect trip. The perfect trip. If three out of four of us including myself, hadn't got, like, deathly ill halfway through. It started with our oldest. He was throwing up all over himself, often in his bed, and it passed on to our youngest, and, and then it passed on to me, and uh, it, it was the worst. There was, like, this 24-hour flu bug, 48-hour thing uh, that turned into this cold that might have even had some COVID mixed in there. I'm not totally sure. But it was, like, from, from halfway through our trip, until about a week ago, we were fighting this thing. It was like three weeks just fighting it, sick. We had, I think it was like, not to give you too many details, but I'm going to give you too many details. We had like 16 times throwing up between three of us over the span of a week. Like it was, it was a rough, rough go. And, uh, and then when the, the cold hit, you know, you've, you've heard of this mythical man cold, but I'm, I'm living proof I'm standing before you today to say that the man cold is real, and if you are doubting the man cold, then I don't know what to tell you, but it's, it's, it's bad, and I had it, but I lived to tell the tale. Thank you, Jesus. No, but, but really, I was, we, we, were, we were in rough shape, and if it hadn't been for Christy, my wife, it would have been 
even more chaos. You know, be, because, because Christy and I are in this partnership, I was able to lean on her. I was able to say, Christy, I literally can't get up. I'm throwing up in the back seat of our car. When is he going to stop talking about throwing up? But we, we had this partnership that she was saying, hey, I, I, will, I will carry this family, which she did. And she was okay with it because we have entered into this, this partnership, this agreement, this relationship where she said, hey, when you are down and out in sickness, right, and in health, I'm going to be willing to stand with you. And, and here's the truth. We all need people that we can partner with, that we can connect with. And, and it doesn't have to be a spouse. It could be a best friend. It could be a coworker. It could be a neighbor. It could be a cousin. I've got some cousins in the room this morning. But humanity, we've been wired for this need for partnership, connection, relationship. You know, we, we even see it in, in the very nature of God. We've got God the Father, God the Son, and God the... Some of you are listening. That's good. Good start. Now, as followers of Jesus, we recognize that connection to other people, humans, that's important. But it only goes so far. Right? Like, like we recognize that when we attach our lives and when we connect our lives to other people, there's, there's an element of us that is fulfilled, but it is not the full completion of fulfillment. Right? That we, we know that people let us down and there's always something, someone that we need more. We've been created with this God-shaped vacuum in our hearts, to quote the philo- philosopher Blaise Pascal. And even though A lot of us know this, that we need this partnership, this relationship, this connection with God. Sometimes we we turn our backs, and sometimes we stray, and sometimes we wander, and and we think sometimes maybe we're actually stepping into this freedom away from God, but very quickly we discover that when we go that way, when we decide to go our own way, we find that ultimately it's lacking and can be painful and frustrating. And if anybody knows this truth, that wandering away from God it results in this, this pain, this brokenness. It's the Israelites in the Old Testament. We're going to be looking this morning in Joshua. But let me kind of just set up a little bit of, of what's going on. You, you maybe have heard the story, but just in case you haven't, or maybe if you haven't checked out the Old Testament in a while, let me give you a little bit of a, a run-up to where we're going to be at this morning. The Israelites, they've been slaves in Egypt for 400 years, and God miraculously leads them out of slavery. There's the the crossing of the Red Sea. God parts the waters. They go across, and God says, okay, I'm getting ready to lead you into the promised land. And, And we get to Numbers 13, and Moses chooses the 12 spies, and he sends them to go and scout out the land. And they come back, and 10 of 12 spies say, whoa, 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 there's giants. Like, we're not, we don't stand a chance. We are going to get smashed if we try to step into the promised land. But Caleb and Joshua, they're like, no, 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 no. God is on our side. God is fighting for us. He's with us. We can do this. But the 10 out of the 12 are louder than just Caleb and Joshua. And they stir up this rebellion. And the people rebel against God. They don't enter the promised land. And God says, all right, that's enough. You're going to wander in the desert for 40 years. So he banishes them. They're wandering the desert until this disobedient generation finally passes away. 
And we see, we're going to read it in a moment, but there was an abandonment of this partnership. God invites his people into covenant relationship. He says, if you go my way, if you walk within the boundaries of my law, he says, things will go well for you, but the people walk away from that. This generation that rebels, they say, no, we're, we're going to do our own thing. And there's dire consequences. So, so we fast forward. 39 years, and the people are now camped on the eastern bank of the Jordan River. Moses has passed away. The people are mourning. Joshua is now in charge, and this disobedient generation, they've passed away. They're, they're no longer with us, and it's their kids. They are the generation that has now stepped up, and they are ready to take the promised land. Joshua chapter 3, we read about this, this another, another incredible water crossing, the Jordan River this time in the high season, in the, 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 high, uh, the rushing waters part, and the Israelites again cross over on dry land, and they cross into the promised land safely, and we arrive at Joshua chapter 5, verse 1. We good? Yes, all right. Joshua chapter 5, verse 1 through 12. It says this, when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings who lived along the Mediterranean coast heard how God had dried up the Jordan River so the people of Israel could cross, they lost heart and were paralyzed with fear because of them. At that time, the Lord told Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the second generation of Israelites. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the entire male population of Israel at Gibeath Haharaloth. It's a fun one to say. Joshua had to circumcise them because all the men who were old enough to fight in battle when they left Egypt had died in the wilderness. Those who left Egypt had all been circumcised, but none of those born after the exodus during the years in the wilderness had been circumcised. The Israelites had traveled in the wilderness for 40 years until all the men who were old enough to fight in battle when they left Egypt had died. For they had disobeyed the Lord, and the Lord vowed he would not let them enter the land he had sworn to give us a land flowing with milk and honey. So Joshua circumcised their sons, those who had grown up to take their father's places, for they had not been circumcised on the way to the promised land. After all the males had been circumcised, they rested in the camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt, so that place has been called Gilgal to this day. While the Israelites were camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, they celebrated Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the first month. The very next day, they began to eat unleavened bread and roasted grain harvested from the land. No manna appeared on the day they first ate from the crops of the land, and it was never seen again. So from that time on, the Israelites ate from the crops of Canaan. I love what we see here. Despite the Israelites turning their backs on God, despite this, this generation that's rebelled and disobeyed from God, we see that God is already working for them. God is already working for them. Uh, our three-year-old, Micaiah, he loves to mow the lawn with me. He has this little Fisher-Price. There's a, a picture. I actually had to search for this picture because often Micaiah doesn't have time to put pants on. And so he'll mow the lawn in just his underwear, his gonchalonis, as we call them. And so I had to search for a picture of him mowing the lawn in proper attire. But he loves to help me out. And he's got this little Fisher-Price mower, and, and he just, honestly, it takes me about two hours, the front yard of the backyard, and I would say an hour and 45 of that, he is with me, just trucking along. And every single time that we mow the lawn, when we're done, he'll look at me, and he says, 
Thanks for helping me mow the lawn, Daddy. Thanks for helping me mow the lawn, Daddy. I love in, in his young mind, I'm just helping him. When the reality is, I'm doing all the work. I, he's not doing anything. In fact, he maybe is hindering more than helping. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, we do the same thing to God sometimes, don't we? You know, God, I, I'm, I'm doing okay, thanks. You know, I, I, I can do this. I think I have things all under control. I, I don't really need you right now. I'm, I'm good, thanks. But God doesn't even need us. That sounds harsh. He wants us, but he doesn't need us. And yet we flip it in our minds, we confuse it in our minds, and we think we're doing all the work. But really, he's actually inviting us to partner with him, and he's already moving on our behalf. He was already moving on behalf of the Israelites as well, and he's already working for us. But, kind of like we were talking earlier this morning, you know, God, you are good, but situations aren't always good. That, that work situation won't resolve. Or that tension with our, our loved one is, is prolonged. There's a, a situation that's beyond our control, and, and before we know it, we're trying to put things back together with our own strength. We're trying to think through in our own minds how we're going to be able to navigate this next one, or, or we begin to listen to the voice of fear rather than the voice of the one who created the universe. And we get discouraged, and we fall into this trap, and we just say, how, how am I going to get out of this one this time? And yet God is already working. He's he's prepared the promised land for the Israelites while they were walking in the desert for 40 years. Despite them having rejected him, despite having them walked away from him, turning their backs on him, God is still saying, I'm going to prepare the promised land for your people. And it's the same God that we sometimes find difficult to trust, who's fighting for us and who's interceding for our challenging situations. This is what it says in Romans 8, verses 26 to 28. It says, The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. Can we read that together before we go on? And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Yes, God is working everything out for the good of those who love him, but it doesn't mean that it's always a good moment or scenario, evil is present in the world, and I hate to break it to you, but sin exists in me and in you. But he's working the good. I was doing some, some preparation this week, and I found this quote in a commentary that I was looking at. It says, even under the guidance of God, there's no exemption from trial. Sometimes we think if we're walking with God, if God's guiding us, we, we shouldn't have it this tough, but there's no exemption from trial. He doesn't always lead us by easy roads, for he values the discipline of our spirits more than the external comfort of our bodies. Faith is to be tested that it may come forth as gold tried in the fire. See, we can actually take assurance 
that in the faithfulness of God, who promises that he's already moving, despite sometimes our lack of faith, despite sometimes our circumstances not being as comfy, cozy as we hoped that they would be, he's actually inviting us to partner with him, and he's working the good out for us. may not be today, it may not be tomorrow, it may not be next month, but he's working the good out, and he's saying, I am shaping you along the way as you partner with me. He is already working. He's already working. On top of that, God's already provided an answer. God's already provided the answer. A, a couple months back, we, uh, we had Lynn and Holly Lapka from Dust of Emmaus Ministries, and, and they came and they kind of did a weekend of teaching here at Restoration Church. And Lynn and Holly, they're all about bringing people through the Old Testament to help them understand the culture of the time and the, the context so that when we approach the Old Testament, it's not so difficult for us to understand and comprehend. And one of the things that they taught us that weekend is they said, always ask why those details are included in these Old Testament accounts. And in verses 2 and 3 of the passage that we read this morning, Joshua leads the people back into this rite of circum circumcision and and we read that it was done with the flint knife. Now, sometimes we can get caught up in, like, circumcision. Like, that's kind of weird. But it's just a symbol of being set apart. God, God says, hey, this is, this is a sign that you are different than the people around you. And I'm inviting you into this partnership, this covenant relationship. And while in the desert, we read that they, they, they passed over this rite of circumcision, this covenant agreement and relationship. So Joshua, in preparing to lead the people into the promised land, recognizes that there needs to be a return to this partnership, a return to this covenant, so that the people can once again walk in step with God. And at that time, the answer that God provided them was the law, the boundaries that kept people safe and allowed people to live the, the life to the full. And very specifically, so that Joshua is able to carry out this task, we read that Joshua uses a flint knife. Now, what is a flint knife made of? Does anybody know? I heard it. Somebody back there, yell it. Rock. So we read about this, this rock that Joshua is using to bring people back into partnership with God. Now, can you think of anywhere else in the Bible where someone references a rock? What about Jesus? What about Matthew 7, 24? Jesus says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. What about Mark 12, verse 10? Jesus is quoting the psalmist here, Psalm 118, 22. He says, didn't you ever read this in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Or Paul, writing to the Corinthians. He's talking about when Moses was leading them through the desert, and he brings water from the rock in the desert. Paul says, and all of them drank the same spiritual water, for they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. See, for the Israelites, the answer that God provided them was the law. Return, carry out this covenant relationship, the, the, the circumcision. They also have the Passover meal again that they hadn't been doing. But for us, God has sent Jesus, 
the rock, the fulfillment of the law. Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says, don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. And so while God is already moving in the circumstances and the situations that we sometimes don't love to be in, we can take comfort in the fact that he has already provided for us an answer when we don't know what to do. And that answer is Jesus. And I'm not saying Jesus like a Sunday school answer, like when, when we were kids growing up, what, every single question, if you would have said Jesus, you would have been right. It's not as simple or piddly as that. This is Jesus, the answer to our world that's searching for purpose. This is Jesus, the answer that when we get that diagnosis that we, we didn't expect or we never anticipated. This is Jesus when the financial statement math doesn't add up the way that we hope it would. This is Jesus when we feel like our prayers aren't being heard and we feel like we're not being listened to or when fear or anxiety or depression or hopelessness creeps in. We can sometimes label obstacle and opposition as, as abandonment by God, but actually it's an invitation by God saying, hey, I have given you Jesus. If you would just walk in step with Jesus, it might not resolve your situation right now. It might not make everything perfect the way that you hoped it would, but Jesus is going to walk alongside you. Jesus is going to dwell within your heart. Jesus is going to shape you. Jesus is going to provide with you the strength that you need that you don't think you have. Jesus is going to give you the words to say. Our answer is Jesus. He's our strength, our endurance, our perseverance, and our hope despite whatever we're facing. Romans 5, 3 to 5 says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. But, but God, I don't want endurance. God, God I, I, I don't want, I don't want to go through this because this hurts. God, I, I don't want endurance. Well, we know that endurance develops strength of character. God, I, I don't necessarily want character either. But character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. People might lead to disappointment. Circumstances might lead to disappointment. But not Jesus. Not our hope. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. I'm so guilty of forgetting that we have restoration power available to us. And all that's required is we say, Jesus, I accept that you are the rock that my life is built on. I accept that you are the answer. It doesn't necessarily mean that specific details are always planted within my heart and my mind, but I know that, Jesus, you are the answer so that I have strength and endurance and character for the next step and then for the step after that. You know, when Micaiah and I are mowing the lawn, I'm a little bit of a stickler for nice, even lawn lines. Can any dads in the room relate? But this is something difficult for a three-year-old to comprehend. So while I'm going up and down, nice and evenly, Micaiah decides that he's going to go diagonally, and he's going to go upside down, and he's going to go in circles. And I need to remind him. I say, Micaiah, we're trying to make nice and even lines, so I have to say, hey, walk back in step with me. Follow the line that I've already laid out for you. Just, just walk in my footsteps and keep following me. 
And we need to do, we need to allow Jesus to do this for us as well. Jesus, I'm searching for the answers over here. And he says, I've got the lawn lines right in front of you. Just keep pushing that lawnmower right behind me. Keep walking. I'll lead you to the right people. I'll I'll lead you to the right job. I'll lead you to the right resolution. It's not going to be exactly how you drew it up. But Jesus says, if you, if you can walk with me, I'm, I'm your answer. I've got everything you need. Sometimes it might mean that he has to apply some, some elbow grease to the hard parts of our heart and the corners and the edges, the temper that we maybe let get the best of us, the shame, the lust, the lying, the stealing, the critical heart. Insert the blank of whatever it is that you find to be your, your struggle. But God's provided the answer in Jesus. And part of that journey to discovering those answers is partnering with Jesus and walking in step with him. And that's great. Right? Sometimes we're like, yeah, okay, you know, I'm, I'm in a place right now where I feel, and I'm not saying me specifically, but we can sometimes say, I, I'm, at a, I'm at a good place right now. I'm in a good place. I, I like this. Jesus is kind of revealing some answers, and, and I'm feeling good. And sometimes, if you're like me, you can get to a place where you say, okay, I'm good. And you sit back. It's like Micaiah pulls out his little camping chair, and he puts it on the sidewalk while I'm still mowing, and he just says, Daddy, I'm just going to take a little break. And he sits there. We do that too, right? We sometimes say, Jesus, I'm good for now. I'm going to just chill out here. But the problem with this is being satisfied with past blessing can cause us to miss out on future miracles. Being satisfied with past blessing or being satisfied with good can cause us to maybe miss out on something better that God has in store for us. I love that verse in Joshua 5. It was the last verse of the passage. It said, No manna appeared on the day they first ate from the crops of the land, and it was never seen again. So from that time on, the Israelites ate from the crops of Canaan. Manna was this incredible miracle, right? Like, they were, they were hungry in the desert. They were actually complaining. They were saying, We had all this food in Egypt. And God's like, all right, let me send bread that will manifest itself on the ground miraculously. And it was this incredible thing that fed them while they were in the desert. And we can sometimes be like, do you remember manna? Oh, that was so cool. But then they're in the promised land and they're eating these crops. They're eating these incredible vegetables and these crops. And they're saying, oh man, manna was never seen before. It was incredible back then. But they were moving into, they were stepping into something that was better. Over the last couple of years, I've I've really gotten into um, grilling and smoking the the barbecue kind. I think I've maybe made that joke in the past before. Not smoking of, of of an untoward nature, an unhealthy nature, but smoking meats on a kettle charcoal grill. And in the past, I... Always, if I was going to have a steak or if I was going to prepare a steak, I would grill the pink out of that thing. I would just let it roar and I would just take, because that my dad has always said, I want my steak well done, well done, well done. And so I just thought in my head, that's how real people eat steak. But then me and my buddies are all getting into this grilling and 
the first mistake I made was telling them that I would like to have my steak. We were all hanging out. I said, I'll have mine well done. And they scoffed. They ridiculed. They almost banished me and excommunicated me from the dynasty of grill masters, as we call ourselves. But, but they have led me into the promised land. And they said, Thaddeus, this is no way to eat steak. You need to eat steak medium rare. Maybe medium. But you can go no further than medium. And it, it's kind of like the Israelites, right? I used to celebrate manna. And, you know, this, the, the well-done steak, I'm sure it was okay. And it was, a, it was fine for then. But now that I've entered the promised land of the dynasty of grill masters, I have encountered the crops of Canaan, and I can't go back. I don't want to settle for manna. I don't want to settle for well done. I want medium well. I want all the marbling, and I want everything that the promised land has to offer me. But see, we can, we can get content, and we can settle, and we can say, I'm good here. I don't, I don't necessarily want to go any further. But when we settle for what was good in the past, it comes at the cost of something greater in the future. And God wants us to find fulfillment and joy and purpose, but we're never told that fulfillment and joy and purpose and life to the full is found in contentment. We're told that we're not invited to just, just snuggle into the arms of God and just get comfy, cozy. Whenever Christy and I watch a movie or a show, she says, I just want a blanket because I just want to be cozy. God doesn't want us to just settle in and be cozy. He wants us to, to be ready for the next thing that he has in store for me. It doesn't mean that we don't find fulfillment, but he doesn't want us to, to settle in contentment. I love what God says to Joshua. They've, they've entered the promised land, and years later, Joshua 13, verse 1, says, when Joshua was an old man, no offense to anybody who maybe would describe themselves in the same way, when Joshua was an old man, the Lord said to him, you're growing old. God just doesn't hold back. You're growing old, and much land remains to be conquered. When somebody says you're old, it usually holds a negative connotation right now, right? You're old. I would never say that to any of you because you're all perfect and you are well-established in years and well-established in maturity. But God just says, Joshua, you're getting older, but you're not done. You're, you're getting older, but it's not time for you to settle. You, you are getting older, but there is still more for you to accomplish. Paul writing to the Philippians in Philippians 3, 12, 14, says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. So how do we press on? How do we not allow ourselves to settle for manna in the past, which was a good thing, but how, how do we press on? How do we continue? Well, I believe the answer is prayer. We become a people that pray. We've been going through the, the draw the circle, the Mark Batterson 40 days, the, the prayer devotions, and man, 
What an incredible book. If you've been following along, you know the stories that he's telling. You know the, the truth that he's unearthing. I encourage you, if you haven't yet, we might even have some copies on the back table, but get plugged into that book because it's a challenge to invite us into prayer. But here's the thing. Reading about a book on prayer is good, but it can't replace prayer. See, the invitation to walk and to live and to partner with God is not an invitation to sit back in passivity. It's not a, an invitation to just kind of enjoy the ride. It's, it's an all-hands-on-deck challenge. It's a, we need you to get on board because the mission of God that he's leading us on requires everybody to join in. And, and it's not something that we can do just stepping up and saying, hey, I'm here. We need to be people that are prayed up so that we can be ready for the, for the miracles that God has in store for us in our future. There's an effort required, not, not an effort for us to earn salvation, but an effort for us to grow, an effort for us to, to pursue the heart of God, an effort for us so that we can begin to discover our strengths and discover the, the callings that God has put on us so that we can learn what our responsibilities and our giftings and our callings are, so that we can be sitting at the table of community like Pastor Tom's been talking about over the last several months, so that we can see the needs in our community so that we can recognize areas that we can step up in. Because when we enter into God's presence in prayer, God reveals to us not only who he is, but who we are and the things that he has in store for us that are all around us. See, we discern and discover and experience the future miracles when we join our hearts with God's and we pray. And this is not just the, dear Jesus, thank you for today, thank you for my food, thank you that it's, sunny or rainy. No, this is a, a prayer that brings us to the throne room of God. This is a prayer that shakes the spiritual realm. This is prayer that sends mountains running into the oceans. Now, now before you begin to, to think, I, I'm not there yet. I, I, Thaddeus, this is, this is beyond where I'm at. I haven't mastered this yet myself. I'm still working on this. I'm teaching it. I'm preaching it. But it doesn't mean that I'm perfect at it. But together, we need to come as a body and say, I, I, I want to be a person of prayer. We want Restoration Church to be a place of prayer. And we need to be willing to partner with God with a depth and persistence in prayer like never before. Because if, if I want my sons to grow up and to follow Jesus, I, I want to model it. At some point, they'll have to make their own decision, but I want to do everything in my power to show them the way, to show them, hey, this is what a man of God, this is what a follower of God is all about. If I want to, to help serve and care for my wife the way that Jesus cares for the, the church, his bride, then I need to be a person that prays. If, if I want to be, if I want the plans and the purposes of God to, to manifest themselves in my life, then I need to be a person who is praying. And if it's true for me as an individual and you as an individual, how much more important is it for us as a church to come together and pray? Pastor Tom's been talking about this building downtown that we're looking at purchasing. And this hasn't been a step that he and the board have, have lightly walked into. This, this has been something that there's been hours of prayer behind. But here's the thing. 
The board and Pastor Tom can't be the only ones that are doing this praying. We need you to join with us. We need you to come on board, to partner with God, to believe that he's already moving, to believe that he's already provided an answer, but we need you to believe that there's been good in the past, but that there's something greater in the future, and we need you to pray alongside us and with us and together so that we can seek God for all that he has in store for Restoration Church and for the city of Huron. We want God to reveal to us, how can we be a light in darkness? We need to be praying that God's will would be done and that we would have favor in the right places over the next couple months as the different meetings and different boards are gathering and approvals need to be met. But Thaddeus, I'm, I'm so far behind. Thaddeus, I, I don't even know where to start in my prayer life. Well, what about this? Why not pick up that book today? If we don't have copies in the back, let us know. We can order some more. Or, here's a tip, you can go to Amazon and probably find it. How about connecting with somebody here at church this morning? And just say, hey, can you, can you walk alongside me? Can, can you send me a text every day at 1130 and see if I've spent some time that morning or that evening praying? What if you started a prayer journal? or a prayer list, and you tracked all the different things that you're praying for, and over the next couple months, see how God maybe answers two or four or all of them. Maybe you're just saying, like, Thaddeus, I'm, I'm not even there yet. Why don't you just spend five minutes at any point, set a timer and say, for the next five minutes, I'm going to go on Do Not Disturb. I'm going to shut my phone off. I'm going I'm to put my TV away. TV away, that's weird. I'm going to shut my TV off. I'm going to put my laptop away. I'm going to take the headphones. I'm just going to spend five minutes. Or I don't want to ruffle any feathers, but what about coming to House of Prayer some Sunday night? Now, there's none tonight, but next week, why don't you come join us at 5 o'clock at the downtown office and pray with us? Because when we pray, we strengthen our relationship and the partnership that we have with God. He's already moving. He's already provided the answers, Jesus. But when we pray, we get ready for what's next. We're not settled or content with the past, but we're looking ahead for what God has in store. Because see, the truth is, one day Micaiah is going to have his own lawnmower. And Micaiah is going to have his own lawn. And he might even have his own little boy or own little girl who's going to want to Walk alongside him as he is mowing the lawn. But in the meantime, I'm going to let him partner with me. I'm going to let him walk in step with me. I'm going to get the job done. I'll, I'll do all the heavy lifting. But I'm going to show him how it, how it works. And one day, he'll be ready for his opportunity. He sometimes doesn't have his pants on. He sometimes goes in the opposite direction of I'm going, but I still love him. And I'm still inviting him to join me. What do you need to do today to walk in step behind our ultimate landscaper? <laughs> what do you need to do today to remind yourself, hey, he's moving, he's already given me the answers, but I want to partner for what's next. Jesus, we love you. We're so grateful, Lord, that you don't give up on us that even though 
We sometimes mistake obstacles and challenge for abandonment. God, you're not abandoning us. I don't, I don't even fully theologically grasp why sometimes we go through hard, hard times. But God, I know that you still walk alongside us. And I know that you're still shaping us. And so God, I pray that we would be a people who partner with you through prayer. God, that we would not let our schedules, that we would not let our busyness, we would not let our frustrations, we would not let shame. God, that nothing would get in the way of us partnering with you and becoming a people who pray. God, help us. For, for those that are in the room who maybe have no prayer life whatsoever to speak of, God, I pray that, that you would help them recognize that the first step, maybe even the baby step, is the right step to take. Lord, maybe there's others that are, are further along in this spiritual habit, this discipline of prayer. God, would you strengthen those people to continue, to go deeper. God, not that we would be content to settle for the blessings of the past, but God, we would seek that what miracles lie ahead. God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. God, I'm grateful for Restoration Church and the work that you have done in its past. God, there is an incredible history. There is an incredible lineage and heritage of people that have been a part of this body who have done incredible and remarkable and eternity-changing things. And God, we celebrate that. But God, we also want to see it in this generation. God, whether it's in this building that we've put this offer in or whether it's somewhere else, God, we are excited for the work that you are doing. God, we are excited for the, the heritage and for the legacy that this iteration of Generation Church will have. God, we thank you for Pastor Tom and for Christy and their family. We thank you for their leadership. God, we pray that as we step into this next season of life, as a church and some of the unknowns that are coming along with, with this process of, of um, different applications and different meetings and different committees. God, we pray that you would protect Pastor Tom and his family. God, we pray that you would prepare him, that you would give him the right words to say in the right moments. God, that in the right meetings, that he would have the right favor. God, we don't pray that selfishly, Lord. We pray that because we are expecting great things in the future of Restoration Church. So we love you, Jesus. We thank you for our time this morning. We thank you that you have been with us. We thank you for your presence. Thank you for Chad and for Augustine for leading us before. And God, as we get ready to go now, I pray that we would be on the lookout for the things that you are putting in our path that we can be ready for. God, move ahead of us. Prepare the way. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, everybody, for being with us today. Just a reminder, if, if you're a guest here, if it's your first time, we have a gift for you out at the tables in the lobby. We'd love for you to check that out. Don't forget to check out the calendars as well on the tables and any more information that you need 
you can check us out on Church Center. God bless everybody. We will see you next week.